is our prayer today to you, God, as a collective body here. We're telling you we need you. And it's in the strong name of Christ that we sing and we pray it. Amen. All right. I'm so glad to see all of you. Good morning. My name is Kim. I get the privilege of being married to Ron. He's my favorite. Thank you, Glennie. And I am just so glad you have joined us here this morning. Maybe back in June or so, you saw a video like I did of a high school graduate who was invited to give a speech to his classmates because he was salutatorian. And as he stood up, he had a challenge before him. He shared that three times he had handed in a draft of his speech and three times it had been rejected by the administration of his school for his references to faith. I'd like to ask you to watch this with me. Good evening. My, my name, name is Brooks Happy. I'm in the class of one of the two valedictorians in the class of 2014. Today, as we move forward, a new life is presented before us, a life full of both opportunity and challenges is presented. I will use these past few days as an example. In coming before you today, I presented three drafts of my speech. All of them deny on the account of my desire to share my personal thoughts inspiration to you in my Christian faith. In life, you will be told no. In life, you will be told to do things that you have no desire to do. In life, you will be asked to do things that violate your conscience and desire to do what is right. And the advice I give to you is this. No man or woman has ever truly succeeded or been fulfilled on the account of living for others and not standing on what they knew in their heart was right or good. So I will leave you with this, with a quote from the biggest best-selling book of all time in history. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Be the salt of the earth. Be strong and stand for your convictions and stand for what is right, what is ethical, what is moral, and godly, no matter what is the cost to you. Stand for what is good wherever you go and whatever you do. Congratulations, class of 2014. Thank you and may the God of the Bible bless you each and every one of you every day. Yeah, that took courage. It took courage for that young man to stand strong for his convictions. In the face of his authorities who were trying to squash him into conformity. You know, I just found that while I was watching that in my kitchen, I was just cheering with that whole stadium for that man. You know, things are heating up for those who pursue God today. Just like what happened in 6th century B.C. Babylon for the people of Israel who had been exiled there. Just like for them we live in a modern-day version of Babylon. It surrounds us, pressure to conform, trying to squash us into the shape of the culture around us. See, our series out of this book of Daniel could not be more relevant. And the account that we're looking at today is one of those all-time classics out of Scripture— it's got all the elements of a Netflix movie, okay? Colorful characters, suspense, tension, a surprise ending. Okay, it's got everything except sex, okay? 
but don't worry, you can just stay with me anyway, okay? So would you grab your outline? It looks like this. It's a listening guide. Grab it and a pen along with your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to dive right in. This story is so familiar, friends, that it kind of works against us. Especially if, like me, you went to Sunday school. You remember there was a flannel graph story, and we called it Daniel in the Lion's Den. That's right. But you know, that's not really the story at all. I was surprised to realize that there are 153 verses that describe Daniel before this Lion's Den experience. And do you know that there are zero verses describing Daniel's time in that lion's den, well, with the exception of when he said to the king that God had shut their mouths. No verses at all describing Daniel there. Do you know why? That's not the point of the story. I mean, once Daniel was in that lion's den, it was out of his control anyway. So what is the point? Well, the point is the way Daniel lived before that moment. What got him thrown into that lion's den in the first place? It gets back to that picture that we heard shared by the high school graduates so well. That picture of salt. Did you hear how he quoted the words of Christ? You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Jesus is saying, be the salt. Now think about salt with me. Salt gets out. Salt gets in. It's a pervasive substance. It doesn't isolate itself. It preserves what would otherwise fall apart. Just like that high school graduate did his best in his academic environment. He spoke up for God. He excelled. That is what God calls each of us to do where we live and work. And that's what Daniel did right there in Babylon. See, this is what God had told his people to do through Jeremiah when they first left Jerusalem and ended up in Babylon to get involved, not to lose their identity, mind you, but to get fully invested in the well-being of Babylon because they'd get blessed in the meantime. And you know, that's what I love about so many of you here at Twin Cities. That's what I see you doing week in and week out in the places where you work and you live, which is to live out your faith in a winsome way. And many times in what is a godless environment, many of you could be described the way Daniel was. He possessed an extraordinary spirit, it says. Starting as a teen, when he was kidnapped, dragged off to this foreign land and exiled a lot along with many of his countrymen, he didn't get down on his estate. He did his best at any assignment that was given him because he wanted to bring glory to his God. He was given more and more responsibility. He decided to get involved in the political arena. He kept working hard and he keeps spiraling upward and this goes on for decades. And now, at this point in the story, We find him at the age of about 85. And a new king has taken over Babylon. It's been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And the new king is named Darius the Mede. The Medo-Persian Empire now is massive. And they need new governors. And Darius is so impressed with the track record of this man, Daniel, that he appoints him as one of three governors over the whole region. In fact, he's got his eye on Daniel to go ahead and elevate him 
to be in charge of the whole government, kind of like prime minister. Now, this is where the tension rises. Daniel had other colleagues around him, guys that he had outperformed to get to this place. And those guys, they get jealous, crazy jealous. And people can do some pretty insane things when they're jealous. So they plot a plan. Since they couldn't find any dirt on Daniel, they said, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So they said to the king, we recommend, O king, that anyone who prays to any god or man other than you for the next 30 days shall be thrown into the den of lions. So the king hears this suggestion. You know, he says to himself, not a bad idea. People will bow to me, worship me, adore me, and it doesn't require any persuasion at all. He says, I like this bill. <laughs> Let's do it. And it, he signs it into law. Now the pace of the story is picking up. Daniel was not a secretive guy. He lived his life out loud, and that's part of being salt. So everybody knew that Daniel had a predictable pattern to his praying. Not only did he pray on schedule three times a day, but he even opened the window toward Jerusalem. I imagine those Middle Eastern breezes blowing through. So these schemers, they set their watches and their cell phones, you know, to remind them to run off toward Daniel's house and watch. Now right here, we see Daniel in another pressurized situation. And his response helps us to know how we can respond in our sort of, of Babylon that we live. He shows us three choices that create courage. And here's the first thing you might want to write down. We need to choose convictions over comfort. Look at how Daniel responded to this pressure. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. Now, what do you imagine Daniel was thinking as he walked home? Maybe he thought, what am I going to do about this prayer thing of mine? You know, I could carry on, but, you know, I'll just close the window for 30 days. Or maybe I'll just stop the kneeling thing. I mean, God can hear me anyway. Or I know. I'll lay down and pretend I'm napping. Yeah, kind of fake everybody out. What good am I going to be, he might have thought, if I'm dead? Well, what I want you to recognize is that Daniel had options. He could have gone underground at this point. But look at what it says. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed. He prayed. Underline that. Daniel prayed. Now, he knew he was being watched. He knew that things were going to get pretty uncomfortable. But he made a choice to hold on to his convictions, to his integrity, not to change a thing. He said, I have to pray. He had to think, whose opinion am I really concerned about anyway? You know, in fact, it was significant to me to realize at this point the meaning of Daniel's name. It means God is my judge. Dan means judge. E in Hebrew means my, and L is God. God, my judge. See, this conviction seemed to define the man. He knew who was God and that his name was not Darius. So when he knelt to pray in his usual way, it was like he was saying, 
you're going to have to feed me to the lions. It was daring. It was defiant. Now, what about us? What are you sometimes afraid to do, even if you know it, it's probably the right thing? Maybe it's going to be costly or socially awkward. What about sharing your faith, taking op- advantage of those opportunities to stand up and say, I believe in God. Well, have you heard of the magicians named Penn and Teller? Penn is the one who does the talking, and he is an atheist. He's even made fun of Christians at times, but he has a video blog. And one video he posted, I really wanted you to see, because he describes a guy who came up to him and gave him a Bible. And as he describes this man, I thought, that man sounds like a modern-day Daniel. I want you to watch it and listen to what Penn says about that man. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side, and he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. Now, I know there's no God. And one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. Wow. I think that guy had a lot in common with Daniel. You know, he's got strong convictions, but he's not cranky or contentious. He's not looking for a fight, you know? He's not weird. (laughs) 
it, it reminds me of that verse in 1 Peter that says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that's inside of you, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's how I saw, see Daniel, and I appreciate that man who would dare to give a Bible to Penn. Now, there's another thing that we can do that takes courage, and this is it. We can choose discipline over default. It says in the Bible that Daniel prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And will you underline that phrase, just as he had always done? What we're seeing in, in Daniel is discipline rather than defaulting to old patterns. You know, we all have old patterns. You know what yours is, what your personality leans toward. For some of us, it's to clam up or withdraw. When we're pushed into a corner, some of us might explode in anger, or maybe it's to try to please everybody around us, just to find out, you know, what the status quo is and just kind of fall in line with that and cater to it. And that last one is pretty common caving in to peer pressure. No one is immune from peer pressure. In fact, sociologists have done experiments that even prove that peer pressure is the single biggest influence on human behavior. I learned about this from Renee Schlepfer. What a great teacher over at Twin Lakes Church in Aptos. He, he did a whole bunch to help me today to get ready for our talk about Daniel. But one of the things that I heard Renee share is about something called the ASH experiment. It was duplicated over at Stanford. And this is how the researchers do this experiment. They gather a group of 10 people together and they tell them, okay, we're just taking a look at perception, you know, like depth perception. So... I want you to look at these lines and, and compare them. Take a look at the length of them. And, and I want to ask which line on the right is most similar to the reference line on the left. Of course, the answer is C, right. But the, here's the clincher. Nine out of ten people in the room are in on it. They're actors. And so they'll say things like, Oh, I've seen this before. It looks like it's C, but you know, it's an optical illusion. It's really B. And they go around the room, and person after person says, Yeah, it's B. And then it comes to the one person the experiment is really on. And even though they could see it plainly, 75% of the time they would say, Oh, I guess it's B. They were willing to be wrong rather than appear peculiar. That is living by default. That's peer pressure. Pleasing the crowd around me is a powerful force. But Daniel didn't cave. He said, I'd rather be thrown into a den of lions than be part of the status quo 75%. How did he make that tough decision? I came across a compelling statement about that. In another study, it said the only people who successfully resisted peer pressure are people whose resistance was based on, quote, deeply internalized values, end of quote. Now, where do you get deeply internalized values? Where did Daniel reach to find his courageous answer? It's in that D word that you wrote down, discipline. And some of you are whining, I don't like that word. I say that word and a groan goes out throughout the land. But think about it. You're disciplined about something. Every one of us. I mean, some of you are disciplined about your work. I mean, you're really punctual. You're highly organized. You make me sick. Some of you 
are disciplined about your TV watching. You never miss an episode ever. Some of you are disciplined about your coffee. You have your specialty drink and you have it every day. Some of you are disciplined about your workouts or your diet. Ron is disciplined about his kale. (laughs) You know where you're disciplined? Where you want to be. There's another word for this. It's just simply habits. We need to develop holy habits. That's where our deeply internalized values take root. You know, praying was a habit for Daniel. He didn't have to get on his knees and say, "Uh, God, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm here in Babylon. Maybe that's where you need to start, though, and that's okay. Tell him your name. He knows you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He's waiting to hear your voice. Well, some of you might be thinking, you know, prayer sounds like a good idea, but I just don't know what to say to God. Well, take a look back in verse 10. And what the Bible says specifically about Daniel's habit of praying, it says he prayed giving thanks to his God. Gratitude to God. You know, that's a recurring theme in the Bible. In Philippians, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 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 Right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him one concern that you have that does not fit in with that word everything. Everything. And it says, tell God what you need. And here it is. Now, thank God for what he has done. Thank him for all he has done. How does it help us to thank him as a discipline? Well, first, it gives him the honor that he is due. But second, it grows your faith to thank him. Daniel did that. As Daniel did life, these habits became so precious, so pivotal to his living for God in that culture, to keeping his faith strong, that when those practices were threatened, even with death, His faith had grown to where he just squared his shoulders and said, you're just going to have to throw me to the lions. I'm not giving it up. These routines have made me who I am. I was a kidnapped teenager, and now I'm being groomed for prime minister. My connection to my God is what got me to this day. So if you think I'm going to give up my habits willy-nilly, no, just throw me to the lions. Every time you meet a man or a woman who is a game changer in the kingdom of God, if you get to ask them what routines and habits they've cultivated, they've all got them. Prayer, gratitude, Bible, they have them. And they don't do these things out of legalism. They do them out of desperation. In the last year or so, the symptoms that I was having in my body, headaches and jaw tension and more headaches, all kind of pointed to stress and tension in my body. Now, I know there was a a physical component, but it was being made worse by this anxiety that I carried around in my body. And it's no surprise, really. I've been plagued my whole life with this over-inflated sense of responsibility where it's my job to take care of everybody and everything, and believe me, that will give you a headache. So, out of desperation... I finally decided to start listening to the doctors and to my spiritual mentor who told me that I needed to meditate. I mean, I had tried this big contraption mouth guard. It looks like I was a football player. I was still in major pain, and now I was desperate. 
So they told me I needed to take it's 20 minutes twice a day to sit down and meditate. Now listen, I've got the personality of a hummingbird. <laughs> this was hard. But I started. I don't get an A yet, but I am working at this. Meditating, taking a little phrase of scripture. I sit down and I just breathe that as a prayer to God, just him and me. I think about him. I thank him. I trust him. I give up control to him for 20 minutes. And do you know what? It's paying off. Way fewer headaches and a greater awareness by far of the presence of Jesus. Now, why did I start that? Desperation. See, desperation is a gift. I heard this quote from my son Ryan recently. It's a Charles Spurgeon quote. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that drives me against the rock of ages. Now think of Daniel praying three times a day, same time, same place. I did the math. You know, in 85 years, that would be close to 93,000 prayers. Some of you might be thinking, how can I work up the discipline that Daniel had? Well, you know, that's precisely the wrong question. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't work to, to try to just work a big plan for its own sake. The question is not, can I work up the di discipline of Daniel? The question is, do I have the desperation Daniel had? Because desperation drives discipline. Do you have your spiritual sights set high enough that you can have a growing relationship with a God who loves you? So you can grow from being in his presence? So you can go the distance with Christ and share your faith in the place where he's called you to serve him? Where are your spiritual sights set? Do you have the desperation Daniel had? Are your sights on the God who loves you? Well, that brings us to the third choice that Daniel made that gave him courage. And this is it. Choose love over life. You know how the story goes. Daniel's praying where everybody can see him. And word gets out quickly. His colleagues take his picture. They put it on Instagram. It's all over the world. And they're saying, you are done, Daniel. In verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you worship continually, hey, Daniel, he had a holy habit, whom you worship continually rescue you. Now, why lions? Why didn't they just spear him or something? Well, lions are, were a symbol of power in the Babylonian Persian Empire. In fact, this carving was from the Ishtar Gate. It's something Daniel would have seen. And these lions were different than African lions. They were a subspecies of lions that still exist today in India. These were Persian cats. And I don't mean like this one. <laughs> that would not have been a miracle. Well, Daniel survived, but he sure has bad allergies. I want you to think, though, about this moment. 85-year-old Daniel is thrown and hits the floor of that cave. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. You know, I know of some others who rolled a stone and sealed it with a signet ring 
so that the situation might not be changed. Listen, you might be feeling like your situation is unchangeable, that there's no hope, that your situation could never be changed, but you don't have that situation. It doesn't exist. Have you given up? Some of you might know Maxine, my dear friend. She's a part of our Twin Cities family. Do you know that she prayed for 44 years for her husband, Lee, who had a drinking problem? I asked Maxine, and she said she'd be happy for me to share with you that, yeah, there were times that it seemed like the situation was unchangeable, but she kept praying. And you know, her prayer wasn't so much about the alcohol. It was that Lee would experience the love of Christ. And you know, God answered her prayer. And for the last 10 years of Lee's life, he was sober. And they had a decade of beautiful togetherness. And last year when Lee went home to heaven, before he died, I got to sit with this couple and hear husband and wife talk about how good God has been to them, how gracious the Lord is. Now listen, you might have that situation. You're thinking it's unchangeable. The enemy will do anything he can to roll a stone over that and sign his name to it. There is no situation that God cannot change. And I just think of Daniel. I imagine he heard the breathing of those lions. Lots of lions. Lots of sharp teeth. (laughs) Maybe he heard them purring. Do you know that that's what lions actually do when they're about to eat? Just like your house cat. I have a cat like that who goes hunting for lizards and birds. You know, he's a male cat named Snowflake, so he has to be tough. (laughs) But he brings his kill, you know, and he plops it down there, and he looks at it, and he goes... (laughs) And I think of Daniel. I just believe that he believed that he was going to die. Well, this is it. He was probably thinking, just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego back in Daniel chapter 3. Do you remember what they said to the king about the fiery furnace? They said, the God whom we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. And I see the same thinking here in Daniel. Whatever comes, he would choose his love and his devotion to his God over his own life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And just like Esther, who said, I'm going to serve my purpose in this time and place where I live. And if I perish, I perish. Christ followers are dying every day for their faith. You probably know that there's a genocide actually underway right now in Iraq where people who love Jesus are dying for their faith. You probably remember Cassie Bernal, who was asked at gunpoint if she believed in God. Her friend Kevin, who was watching the whole scene, says that he heard this moment and he watched his friend as she paused for a long moment. He believes that she knew she was about to die. And then she courageously said, yes, I believe in God. And the trigger was pulled. But what I didn't know until recently was that her family found this poem on her desk that she had written just the week before. And when we read this poem, we can hear Cassie's deeply internalized values. 
it went like this. Now I have given up on everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Cassie chose love over her own life. And for most of us now, the call to die is going to be figurative rather than literal. Maybe your opportunity to die will come in, in taking a risk in your job. Maybe it's going to be a water cooler discussion where you talk about the reality of God. Or maybe it'll be in your community where you come to the defense of the defenseless, maybe the orphan or the widow or the unborn. Or maybe it'll be in your friendships, taking a risk in the face of ridicule. Maybe it'll be for you, like me, a few weeks ago when I got to go into inner city Sacramento with a ministry called City of Refuge. They challenged us as we went into the the heart of, of the area where homeless people live. Now, it's 100 degrees out there, and it stunk. And they challenged us to think about what we did when we came face-to-face with these homeless people. It wasn't so much giving them a bottle of water and walking away. I was challenged to sit down and hear their story. And I'm telling you, it tore me up. I heard story after story of real lives of people with longings and dreams like ours. And my question to you is, are you willing to get torn up? Are you willing to give up your comfort? Maybe today you will get an opportunity to die to your own agenda and to live for God. Like Daniel, we need to have an I don't have to survive attitude. We've talked about convictions, about sharing, standing for them. You can't call them convictions unless you're willing to die for them. We need to have an I don't have to survive attitude. And as we draw to the end of this story, we hear the only way to really get that. The stone was sealed over Daniel and the king went back to his palace and he was so upset that he couldn't eat and he couldn't sleep and he wouldn't let anybody even entertain him. At first light, he rushed back to find out if there was anything left of Daniel. And the king called out to Daniel, Has your God been able to deliver you, Daniel? And he was overjoyed to hear Daniel's voice come back strong. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they wouldn't hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Once again, we see Daniel's respect and integrity, not only toward his God, but toward the king. And then the king gave the order, and they pulled Daniel out, not a scratch on him. And here is a raw and a real part of the story, okay? All of Daniel's critics, along with their families, were brought and thrown into that den of lions. Now, this is just a statement of historical fact. The Bible is not saying it's right. It's just how it went in kingdoms of those days. Whenever someone betrayed the king... They were executed along with their family because the goal was to try to prevent revenge in the future. And the Bible tells us that as these people were thrown into that den of lions, that their bones were crushed on the way down. Now, why does the Bible give us such a gory detail? Well, it's to tell us that those lions really were hungry. And it really was God's doing 
that Daniel had not been eaten. But look at the next proclamation the king makes. Remember, this had been an ego-driven man. Listen to what the king says now and how Daniel had influenced his culture around him. He said, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. You know, when we think about who God really is, we really should be on our faces. He said, he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. See, the king was seeing what Daniel knew absolutely, that God is in charge, that he rules over all. God is my judge. See, this is the overall key to courage, believing that God rules, letting God call the shots. I love how C.S. Lewis put it, you will never tame the lions in your life until you let God be the untamed lion of your life, saying, I'm going to fear him. I'm going to live in awe of him, so I will fear nothing else. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we praise you, for you are the God who rules over all. And we just want to open our mouths and Give more and more credit to who you are. And Lord, we want to stand for you in this culture we live in, Lord. And we know that sometimes the result's going to be positive and evident, just like Daniel saw. But sometimes, Lord, it's going to be negative. And we want to ask you to give us courage and help us to choose courage and to love you more than our very lives. Lord, we thank you that you are doing your work in each one of us and that you're not finished with us yet. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.